This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Eggerbo here with uh, my good friends John and Graham. We're uh, going to have a fun show today. Uh, Apple had some huge announcements. Uh, every year around this time, they have their big Worldwide Developers Conference. And uh, obviously with COVID, that had to be pretty well online. But uh, that didn't stop the uh, the cool announcements. And, you know, as you know, Apple is into so many different things now. Everything from uh, laptops uh, to smart TVs uh, to wearables like their watch, iPhones, iPads, uh, and different types of cloud services. So, uh, you know, in some way, you're probably touching the Apple ecosystem, even if you don't have uh, one of their smartphones. You might have uh, an iPad or, you know, one of the wearables uh, or even the uh, the Apple TV. So, uh, guys, uh, you know, some big announcements uh, this week, and I thought we'd just start off maybe with just kind of the top-level one that I found very interesting. And uh, we touched a bit about this on uh, Get Connected uh, yesterday, our uh, sister radio show. Apple is going to be using their own chips not Intel chips uh, anymore in their laptops or iMacs, but their own Apple Silicon ARM-based chips, which will change many things about their ecosystem. Yeah, so this was introduced by a, a guy named Johnny Sroji, um, who was an absolute just score for Apple. Um, this guy is like, you want to talk about crack team of experts? They have been, over the course of the last 10 years, building this A series of processors into something incredibly beefy. Right. And so they showed on screen the uh, the things that they that they, we have trouble with right now, which is, you know, basically power consumption and performance. And, you know, we kind of sit in the in the worst part of that graph right now, whereas uh, the A series processor, specifically the A12 Z Bionic, which is in uh, the uh, in the iPad Pro and now actually in this new Mac mini, um, that thing's a beast like it, it outperforms the, you know similar core i3s so they've they've really been they've done their work on this and we knew it was coming for a long time um, from a from an app perspective though uh, the big one here is Rosetta 2 and Universal 2 which I think we all remember from the switch from PowerPC uh, to Intel back in the day so this is going to allow uh, these new Apple uh, computers with their new Apple chips to uh, have continuity. They'll be able to run all the, uh, the old stuff. Yeah, so basically you, you fire this thing up and it's an emulation layer that is built into um, macOS. So that's Rosetta 2. And again, like the Rosetta Stone, it translates from one operating system language, uh, one processor language, pardon me, to another. Um, Universal 2 basically is the idea that developers only have to ship one app and it will actually have both versions built into it. Um, they showed some really cool stuff, right? They showed uh, Microsoft working on Microsoft 365 for them. Uh, Adobe. Adobe's usually like they kind of drag their heels on this stuff. And I think that's why Apple has kind of, you know, probably approached them early and said, you know what, this isn't happening without you. So let's get you guys on board. Uh, and those were both running natively uh, on Apple Silicon. Um, the, the other thing they showed was a, a Tomb Raider game running in 1080p, looking pretty good uh, with the integrated GPU in the A12Z Bionic, which that's not even a discrete GPU. So for that to be running at a fluid frame rate and looking as good as it did, uh, it gives me a lot of hope for these new ARM-based Macs. Is the idea, though, too, that uh, it's going to be easier for developers going forward when they're making uh, software or the apps? Um, if they can make it for the iOS and iPad, it'll be that much easier to have it work on macOS as well? Yeah, that's, I think, one of the, the key things here that we've seen coming for a little while now is this convergence of the iOS, iPad, and macOS platforms into one unified 
system where it makes it very easy for the developers to, you know, uh, program once and deploy many times to those different platforms. Uh, and Apple's made some software uh, to specifically make that job a lot easier for developers. Uh, and so that's, that's very exciting. It, it makes uh, it a lot easier for those developers to do that. It gets their stuff on more platforms. Um, and also what I thought was really interesting too is on these new Apple Silicon uh, devices, you'll be actually be able to run your mobile apps uh, natively on those devices too. So we're, we're starting to see the the lines blurring as to where your app is actually going to live. Maybe download once and have it on all, on all the platforms as well, which is again, very exciting because sometimes, you know, you want a mouse and keyboard an actual mouse and keyboard, not an iPad mouse and keyboard to do some tasks. And sometimes you want a touch interface. So it's nice to have these options and that's only going to make it much more interesting as far as the types of hardware that Apple's going to be making that gives you that flexibility, like maybe a touchscreen MacBook, who knows, right? Like those are all these exciting possibilities that this new platform will give them to do and make it much easier for app developers to provide for them. When we start to think about all the platforms that Apple has right now, you know, they, they say that they want you basically using the thing that is closest to you and probably the smallest device for the most tasks. So they start with the watch, it goes to the iPhone, it goes to the iPad. Uh, it kind of takes a little bit of a, a side diversion there because everybody forgets about Apple TV, which is actually running the same processors as uh, all of their other devices. And then on to the, uh, the MacBook uh, Air and the, the Pro and then the Mac uh, the IMAX and uh, the Mac Pro. So the idea that this entire stack of hardware now has the same type of processor, the same development engine, um, you it really does kind of get down to click a couple of buttons and you've got an app that should be functional across all of these devices. Uh, the and We've kind of talked about this before, this vertical integration that Apple has had, um, there's nobody else that even comes close to this right now in the world for anything. Um, this has been Tim Cook's vision for over a decade, and uh, we saw it pay off this week. Well, it'll be interesting to see these new uh, machines when they become available. Uh, I think uh, I heard uh, MacBooks available later this year with the new uh, Apple chips in them. Yeah, I mean, they're starting off with a development kit, which has, it's a Mac Mini with the A12Z, and then we're, the, the scuttlebutt, the rumor is, it's probably going to be a, a MacBook Air, and there may actually be an entry-level iMac as well. I'd be surprised if we didn't actually see a Mac Mini uh, in addition, because it's the developer kit. They should be able to ship these things pretty quickly. Um, the big thing, I think, for people is going to be, you know, does it, do, am I getting more power for my dollar? Because there is a bit of inconvenience here. Um, and I think Apple is probably going to deliver on that in spades. The, the other thing I think would be interesting to, to, to find out, too, is this potentially gives the opportunity to have maybe a 20-hour battery life MacBook Air, right? Uh, much more efficient processing, uh, battery consumption, all that type of stuff in a much bigger form factor than even an iPad. And uh, and so you get all the bells and whistles. You might not have the powerhouse that you are expecting with a Mac Pro, for example, but at least it'll be good enough for, I think, majority of people. And, and you know, again, Apple's going to find a way to make it all happen uh, in a very nice package. A blow to Intel, do you think? Do you think this is going to help make them up their game? Yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, it, it, the writing's been on the wall for a while, right? A lot, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but there have been a number of times of the course of the past five years where Apple has kind of missed the boat a little bit because they've been waiting on new Intel processors, right? There was, you know, wait for Skylake, wait for Coffee Lake, and all of these processor iterations 
um, that they don't want to ship the old processor with it because Apple isn't the type of company that they'll drop a model and then they'll drop the new model three months later, unless you're the iPad 3. I'm still bitter about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so basically Intel has been, quite frankly, holding them back. And I love Intel. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see this, this partnership start to dissolve. But uh, really, I think this is sort of their wake-up call to, okay, guys, what's, uh, what's your next play? It's interesting, though. Intel did say uh, yesterday, late yesterday, that they are still working with Apple, and there is still more devices in the pipeline from Intel and Apple. So, um, you know, this transition is going to take a couple of years to switch over fully, and Apple's still going to need Intel uh, for the time being, I think. We're talking all about the new Apple announcements this week, a whole bunch of them that we still are going to cover in today's app show, including what's new for the iPhone and Apple Watch, including uh, a new little... I guess app for the watch that tells you how long you should be washing your hands. And of course, uh, John has already downloaded some of the beta software uh, for the uh, the iPhone and the Apple Watch, and we'll get his first takes on that as well. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. What's new for the iPhone and Apple TV? You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler and Graham Williams. A little bit of a, an Apple show today. They had uh, big announcements this week at their Worldwide Developers Conference uh, down in, uh, well, down? Is it down in San Francisco when it's actual virtual? I guess it's everywhere. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, talk about some of the other uh, announcements, uh, starting with uh, the iPhone. I mean, there were no hardware uh, reveals. Uh, there's still rumored to be a new iPhone 12 coming in the fall, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But uh, they talked a lot about iOS uh, 14. Grant, what were some of the big uh, features for you? Uh, this actually felt a lot like the, so you've been complaining about this for 10 years, we're finally going to do it show. Um, there are tons of little things. The big one for me is probably going to be the change that's going to impact me the most, and that is the call screen no longer takes over your phone when you get a telephone call. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's only taken 10 years. Androids have it, had it for about eight. Uh, way to go, guys. Uh, but like, that's a, that's a great feature. Um, and it, it kind of almost felt like they looked at you know, the main features that people have been going to their competitors for. Uh, messages is another key one. And so, you know, I, I try to, all my Apple friends have kind of got them on messages. Um, all of my Android friends, I'm trying to get them on Signal. Uh, but a lot of folks still use Facebook Messenger. And it's because the groups feature is powerful. Um, it's got a really great inline reply. It's got the ability to alert you when you're mentioned. Uh, so would you believe the new messages for iOS has a really great groups feature, has the ability to do inline reply. Uh, <laughs> so it's copying all the features of the good stuff that other people have. Yeah, so we, we actually did a, did a blog post up on our website, basically, where we said, who did it first, which is fine. Other people are allowed to do it first. And let's be frank here, Apple didn't even come close to claiming that they've invented this stuff. They're just saying that they're bringing it to the iPhone. Uh, but those two things for me are, that's a game changer. It's the, the little things where I'm going to other apps or I'm frustrated with my iPhone. It kind of puts that right out the window. John, uh, some changes for the home screen. Uh, yeah. Very, very different. This Talk is, about that. This is probably some of my favorite parts of the iOS 14 is the widgets. And this is something, again, Android's had for a long time, uh, being able to basically push aside some of your apps and put in, you know, the weather widget or uh, some other thing uh, that's important to you uh, so you can actually see it every time you unlock your phone. And I, I have to say, Apple really knocked it out of the park. It's dead simple to set up and install. Um, some really nice features. Right now, when you swipe uh, to the right and you get like your little news highlight feed, you can get parts of that in a widget. 
and it's great. And it actually just cycles through. It's almost like a carousel on a website where it shows you the weather, then it shows you the news, then it shows you whatever else you want. And it's uh, sizable as well, which is really cool. And um, very, very simple to uh, move around and put anywhere you want. You can have lots of them on your homepage or have none of them on your homepage. Um, but the other big thing I think with iOS 14 is the app gallery. And this basically gives you the ability to clean up all of your icons for the apps. You know, I, because we do a lot of app reviews and, and we play with a lot of stuff, I literally counted last night or I looked up, I have 480 apps installed on my phone. <laughs> and so I have like 15 screens of apps because it's not all organized, right? Because, you know, you get busy and you forget and don't care. And I just use search for everything anyways. And apparently Apple likes that thinking as well. So now you can actually set it so that when you swipe to the right, uh, it pulls over essentially a search engine for just your apps that are installed locally. And um, it does some uh, automatic groupings that will put things into like a social folder for all your social media stuff, entertainment for any video and streaming services, that kind of thing. But it makes it really quick to go in and do that. And you know, when you activate the wiggle function to rearrange your icons, you can actually tap on the dots on the bottom of the screen and it brings up a, a, a sort of 30,000 foot view of all of your app pages. And you can actually hide and turn off those extra pages. So now I have two pages, my home screen with mostly full of widgets and then the app gallery. And it is so fast and so easy to get in and is, find what you need. Is it confusing though, John? Uh, it was a little bit at first because I'm like, I'm trying to find Facebook, for example, and it's not where I, I normally had it. And it, for some reason, it, it arbitrarily took off about half of my um, my folders and, and my, my most used stuff on my homepage and sort of scuttled it off to the side and uh so it's just uh it's just getting used to this this change and this is beta software too um which we'll talk more about in a in a later segment but uh yeah uh, the thing is if you use search to find your stuff you're gonna love this because it's much cleaner much faster and uh you don't get suggestions for other stuff that isn't relevant when you're trying to find an app I, I honestly have no idea where any of my apps are anymore. I don't. I can't tell you which page they're on. Uh, I literally just when I go to launch an app, I just pull down in the middle of the screen, search for it, and I find it. I I haven't bothered with app organization in years because it has been so unwieldy. Um, so the idea of being able to again shunt these things off to the app drawer, uh, get them out of the way, and then have maybe those few that you know maybe I am using every single day that I don't have to search for anymore, uh, making the organization quite a bit more uh, automated so I don't have to maintain this. Uh, and then adding the widgets in, the, the widgets thing is actually like, I've got muscle memory for going through things like going and finding my podcast or going and checking the weather. And it, it really is, right now the iPhone UI is between me and the things that I wanna do. And with iOS 14, they've kind of, they've blown through that, that problem and uh, made it much easier for me to do things that I wanna do. Let's talk quickly about uh, tvOS. And so for the listeners out there, Apple, they've been making their Apple TV boxes for a number of years. Uh, they've updated uh, the software for the tvOS uh, as well. Uh, first thoughts on that, John? Um, <laughs> maybe we should hand this over to Graham because I was actually not 
paying that much attention to the keynote during the <laughs> TV stuff because I was trying to catch all my notes for the iOS 14 side of things. Graham, what do you think? Who loves Apple TV? Yes. Um, you know, the, the one thing that they've done that's really great here is uh, integrating the home app into uh, tvOS. So we're starting to see it showing up in the control panel. So basically right now, your Apple TV can act as a base station for your HomeKit stuff, which what I've got it set up to do, but you can't really control anything. Um, so now it actually is more of an interactive portal, uh, meaning that you can just have a, an Apple TV and it could be your gateway to a smart home. But it, I think it really does work in conjunction with everything else. That to me is actually a bit of a killer app feature. Um, the one other one, the little secret one, though, is the fact that they're talking about more game controllers. Uh, you know, there is a fast A-series processor in there right now. Uh, we're going to see a new one. And it's going to be pretty beefy because they're going to want to keep up with PlayStation 5 and the new Xbox. So you're going to see another A-series processor drop into this thing probably this fall. And it's going to be a game console that people actually are going to continue using. So kind of like their secret weapon into the the video gaming world. I mean, they've been big into it with, uh, you know, all the different iOS games and stuff. But uh, taking a bit of a shot at uh, the Xbox and PlayStation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It should be interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, those are going to be more powerful for sure but i think for a lot of folks out there if you take a look at the price point of the apple tv and the types of games that i would say the average folks want to play uh, especially with apple arcade this could be a really great way to uh, to win a segment of that gaming market that they don't have right now okay we're gonna have to take another break here on the app show when we come back john has uh, of course already loaded some of this software uh, and again it's like beta software or test software onto his iPhone uh, and his uh, Apple Watch to learn about what works and what doesn't so that you don't have to uh, and we'll get his first thoughts uh, on that you're listening to the app show here on the Chorus Radio Network back after this you are back with the app show Mike Agarbo here with John and Graham talking a lot about the Apple announcements uh, this week at the Worldwide Developer Conference happens once a year they had to go virtual this year of course because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That didn't mean that there weren't a lot of exciting announcements. Not a lot of hardware, but uh, more so on the software side. John has had a chance to actually load some of the new stuff on his gear. (laughs) I'm always scared to do that because it's not always like perfect yet. Uh, So uh, John, from my understanding, you did uh, iOS uh, 14 and you did the watch uh, as well. Uh, So before we get to the watch, um, First impressions of uh, iOS 14, and you're telling me about a feature where you're, you can actually um, tap the back of your phone to do things now. Yeah, this is in the accessibility features, and you have the ability to map two basically new virtual buttons uh, on your phone. Uh, if you double tap the back of your phone, uh, you can map it to do something, and it, there's a whole host of different things you can map to it. You can have it mute your device. You can have it take a screenshot, launch a shortcut, um, do a whole bunch of different things. You can also triple tap, so you essentially have two options. So this can be like an emergency button to you know call a friend or something if you need to. Like it, it's an accessibility feature, but it really I think has a lot of potential for anybody, and it seems to be sensitive enough that I don't think it you know, bouncing around in your pocket's going to trigger it. Like it has to be a very distinct tap, uh, which I thought was really cool. But sort of getting back to installing the betas, I agree. Sometimes um, I've chosen poorly when I install the betas <laughs> and it can be problematic. Um, there's been times when, you know, keywords don't even work or launch and or messages didn't work. This has to be probably one of the, the cleanest and seamless uh transitions I've seen uh, in a while, at least from Apple. Um, The install went flawlessly. 
everything was there. I didn't have to wait hours for it to download. It was just all there. And uh, it was the, the changes were apparent immediately being able to customize the, the dashboard uh, or the home screen with, with the custom widgets, being able to uh, collapse and get rid of all my app pages in the app gallery. Again, just took, seconds to really to do um most of it was just me having to go rewatch parts of the keynote to see how to do some of the tasks that were demonstrated during the keynote because i'm not really well documented yet because it literally was just announced and you know 10 minutes after it was announced i was downloading it so um but uh, yeah the 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 phone feels normal you know i haven't encountered any problems yet so far and i've used it for um you know a, a about a day so far with it and uh it's been great um same with the watch the the watch that the problem that they had is on the developer site you actually have to click a link to download a profile and that link was broken <laughs> so on the apple forums everyone figured out how to fix it so once i did that i was able to get it and install it on my watch and again uh it worked right away and uh i haven't really noticed any loss of functionality uh if anything i've gained a lot of the new things that have been featured and, and discussed so um I guess on the watch side, one of the things I tried last night for the first time was the sleep tracking. And I'm a little skeptical about sleep tracking because I kind of know when I get up in the middle of the night and it's fairly routine. But imagine if you have problems with your sleep patterns and things like that. There's some good features that have you, you have the ability to use something called wind down, which is a mode that allows you to set uh, a sleep schedule. So say you're going to go to bed at 11 o'clock uh, at 11.45 or uh, another earlier predetermined time, the wind down mode will start by disabling your notifications. It'll dim your lights in your house if you have the appropriate home kit connections and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it'll start playing a you know bedtime themed playlist if you have one. Uh, if you have a meditation app like Calm, it'll allow you to launch that as part of that process. It's kind of like stacking routines on Alexa, um, but you can build that into your, your bedtime routine. And then you wear your watch to bed uh, and you actually, it goes into like a dark mode where it's completely black. Even uh, the watch five, which is what I have, which has an always on display, it actually goes completely dark to save battery. If you tap it, you get a very, very subtle, simple clock watch face uh, during, during the night. And then it'll actually will log the time that you've slept. And anytime you get up, you'll, it'll be like line items in a log saying, okay, you got up at 2.45 to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it won't say that what you did, but uh, you can kind of tell. Uh, and uh, I know what time my cat wakes me up in the, in the middle of the night too. So I have that in the log, but I was actually kind of expecting a little bit more granular information about my sleep style. It doesn't really tell you if it was a good sleep or not. It just says that you were asleep during this time. So I imagine it's actually gathering that data though. So cause we've actually seen a ton of sleep tracking apps that will do this. Yeah. Um, right. There was the Bedit and a few other things that, that did um, map that sort of thing. So maybe that's actually, and again, this is sort of Apple doing their best in some cases to help facilitate a marketplace for developers here. We'll give you all of this playground to work with. Now go make things. We don't have to make all of it for you. 
That's right. And there actually is. Uh, so they've updated the health app to have a sleep section now. And it does have sort of like a mini app store below the sleep configuration stuff for apps that would be compatible with that functionality. So I think just like you said, Graham, that they're kind of relying on the third party developers to sort of fill in those gaps, uh, at least uh, in the short term. But so it was kind of interesting. And, and then you also have a wake up cycle as well, where you have a simplified watch face that will tell you uh, the weather, the time and um, uh, just says good morning, you know, that kind of thing. And then once you dismiss that, then you're back to your normal watch. And I was impressed. Uh, big concern a lot of people had about this sleep tracker. It was what's the battery life going to be like on your phone, on your watch. And I went to bed and uh, I had used the phone or the watch uh, during the course of the day, applying the updates and things like that. So it's hard to say exactly how much time was used because some of it was on the charger while I was getting the updates. Um, I woke up this morning at 62%. So not bad. Uh, that's pretty good. And, yeah. and that probably normally would take me a whole other day. So, you know, I could be charging it in the, during the day and then have it ready to use overnight and not have to worry about anything at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's just sipping power overnight just to, 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 to track that kind of stuff. We're going to have to take another break. We're talking all about the uh, big Apple announcements uh, this week. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with the App Show. Mike and John here in studio. We're going to talk about uh, social distancing now and how technology might be able to help. Uh, we saw announcements back, I think, last month from uh, Apple and Google about contact tracing, actually hard baking that right into the operating systems of uh, their smartphones uh, to allow, uh, I guess, people to be tracked uh, after they had a COVID uh, diagnosis. Not really any big news since that uh, announcement. Uh, we haven't really seen a, a lot of, uh, I guess, areas using that. But, uh, you know, some of the technology behind that can be used for other uh Good purposes. Uh, we have uh, an expert on the line. His name is Paul Stringer. He's the mobile practice lead at Equal Experts. And we're going to talk today about an app called Workspace that uh, helps uh, people return to work safely. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you for having me on the show. It's good to be here. Uh, I, I mentioned the Apple and the Google apps because uh, they're using, uh, you know, location technologies to, you know, help, uh, you know, people find, uh, you know, COVID uh, people. Uh, but you're using kind of a, a different version uh, of, of that technology, aren't you? Yes, we're using the same underlying um, mechanism that's being used to do the actual detection between different devices, which is Bluetooth low energy. Um, that is what's used to do the initial contact between the phones um, and, and determine as well things like distance from one phone to another, which is then used to determine if that is something that could be qualified as a, as a contact um, and then they've wrapped around that uh, all the contact tracing stuff that goes with that. So in terms of determining who's been in contact with who. Um, and, and almost what we've done is kind of um, taken just that one very small core element of it and stripped away all the contact tracing and left uh, just the core of it, which then allows us to do uh, what the app we've, we've, we've built does, which is um, social distancing alerts. Um, so we'd have none of the contact tracing bits of it, but we've just uh, kept the... The, the Bluetooth proximity portion of it. So you're not tracking people down. <laughs> and, no, we're no. Not. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the app itself uh, doesn't actually do any communication with anything off the device at any point. Um, it is all just peer to peer over Bluetooth, and even over Bluetooth, 
the only thing that we're sharing from one device to another is is a, a, a what's called an advertising identifier, which is just what ad, identifies our app to another app. Um, and that's the only piece of information that we share. So there's actually nothing uniquely identifying about uh, the users that is being used at all here, uh, which I think is, 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 is really important if you want adoption of these products, because uh, here in the UK, we've had such a debate go on around contact tracing apps, and it's all centered around what's happening with the data. And I think that is, you know, to some degree, putting some people off from using them. Um, and to have the impact, you need the adoption. To get adoption, I think a, a good privacy by design approach, which means tracking and using as little data as you can is, is uh, a good way to go about that. So let's talk about your app workspace. How, how does it work? Obviously, uh, the employees all have to buy into this and they all have mm-hmm. to download the app onto their respective smartphones. Absolutely. So, I mean, this thing works by um, exactly that. Uh, you you download the app um, or you have it installed by your enterprise uh, on your behalf onto maybe your work phone uh, or they they provide that for you via some mobile device management software. Uh, that goes onto your phone and then the user still though kind of has to opt in. It can't just sort of work without their permission. So they launch the app. They'll need to give it uh, two things, notification permissions and Bluetooth permission. Um, and then after that, the app will uh, pretty much just uh, remain in the background and continue to monitor and look for the devices nearby. Um, and then as a result, it gives you a notification. Um, and that's pretty much all it does. It's that simple. That notification, is it like an alarm? Womp, womp, womp. It's, uh, no, it's got the default sound, the, the, the default notification. That's that's as far as we've gone with it. It's, it's early days. We haven't quite gotten yet into the uh, uh, customized uh, uh, alerts yet. And you have it play some sting. Some <laughs> well, you know, Don't you stand so close fine, to me. You, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, you, I mean, you tread this uh, fine line between being um, useful and being annoying. So um, <laughs> maybe I don't know if Sting would 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 cross into that area of annoying. Uh, so, so Paul, uh, workspace. I love the idea. Uh, and is it going to be available for both iOS and Android? Yeah, we are working on the um, the Android version of this. We've, we've had um, uh, good interest in the iOS version, but a lot of uh, enterprises saying uh, we also have people with, with Android phones. So how about that? And we are um, currently working on the Android phones. So that will be coming uh, in a few weeks. And the price? The price, you're going to love the price. The price is free. Uh, we're making this freely available to enterprises that want it. I'm, I'm suspicious, Paul. Why is it free? <laughs> Well, you know, this is something that we, um, I mean, the backstory to this was that we were, we were asked to do um, some feasibility studies very early in, the, in this, um, in this, in this uh, coronavirus period that we're in, um, into the feasibility of using Bluetooth for contact tracing. Um, and then uh, out of that, we, we learned that this could be uh, used for that purpose. And then we, we sort of had this knowledge and we thought, what, what can we, how can we apply this? What can we do with it? And it felt like the way it would have the most impact is that we could um, you know, wrap it into a useful app and put it out there and uh, uh, have as many people use it as possible. So, I mean, that's really the motivation. So again, this app's not taking anyone's personal information from their phone or letting people know where they are in the world. No, there's no location services. There's no geolocation tracking. Um, there is no, um, uh, it, it really collects almost zero data. Um, it is just in the moment it, it detects something nearby and then just effectively logs, not even the data, but just the fact that it, it had a contact. So it tracks, uh, I can let you know how much data it tracks. It tracks one number. 
And that number is an increment, which it increments every time it sees another device for a five-minute period. And uh, uh, literally what it stores is that number, and that's it, which is quite important as well for, for battery life, because obviously there's a lot of battery life concerns around things that are running in the background, quite rightly. Um, and the way you minimize impact on batteries, you do literally nothing, uh, uh, no cryptography, no networking, none of those things. Um, and that's how we've kind of managed to achieve um, good, good sort of, you know, being a good citizen and taking care of the battery as well. How can you talk about the range? Like how close do I need to be to mic for it to be triggered? Um, so we've, we've done a fair amount of testing on this. Um, the, the, the tricky thing is with Bluetooth is we're dealing with radio and radio behaves in weird and wonderful waves, uh, waves in ways as well. Um, so people, human bodies, tables, glass walls, et cetera, they can all impact that. Um, so but a lot of different testing in different environments. We've optimized for what we think is a typical office environment, uh, people working at desks, uh, kind of probably not too much in between them, and optimized for it to trigger at around that two meter or six foot range, somewhere around that. But it will never be 100%. It's just a best guess at the time that we can make. And then um, it continues to monitor devices up to about 33 feet um, away, um, but we'll only register those as contacts when they're within that sort of two meter range. And if I have like a restraining order against John, can I set the distance there like to, to be like 25 feet? You mean increase that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't have that configuration setting, but it, it's a pretty easy one to put in if you need that. Oh, I just gave you your next update you can do. That's a great uh, put on the backlog. <laughs> We're talking with Paul Stringer. He is the mobile practice lead at Equal Experts. Uh, we're talking about the Workspace app, and you can find out more at their website. Your website again, Paul? It's equalexperts.com slash workspace. Very cool. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. And I just want to say if, uh, any governments or other uh, healthcare uh, organizations are interested in talking to us, please come to the website and check us out. We'd love to talk to you and, um, and share this with you. We come back from the break. More apps to talk here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show, Mike, John, and Graham here. Uh, just one quick thing, uh, John. Uh, you know, we'd been talking earlier about a bunch of the uh, Apple stuff. Uh, on the watch, there's a feature where it'll tell you how long you need to wash your hands. Did it work? It did not. <laughs> so it how do you know how long to... about my washing. <laughs> very vigorous. How, how long, or how, how do you know how long to wash your hands now? Uh, I wash my hands like I normally do. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to test that out more. Uh, they were pretty uh, keen on that uh, during uh, the announcement. Okay, uh, I just want to talk about uh, some of the uh, stuff we're giving away. We're giving away a Belkin accessory prize pack. In it, you get a, uh, a Belkin Wemo uh, smart light switch or, or plug, sorry. Uh, you also get a uh, Belkin wireless charger for two devices. You can charge two wireless devices at the uh, same time. So if you've got uh, a smartphone, maybe some uh, earbuds that uh, can do wireless charging, you can place it on the pad and uh, presto gazinga, they get charged. Uh, Again, if you want to enter, hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. You go to the newsletter section and you subscribe, you're automatically entered to win. It's that easy. We're giving away thousands of dollars of prizes uh, this year. So uh, we want you to win. Again, getconnectedmedia.com. Hit the newsletter tab and subscribe, uh, and you can 
potentially win. Also, we've got a great YouTube channel uh, going. You can catch a lot of our uh, our YouTube videos up on our website uh, as well at getconnectedmedia.com. But uh, we want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And the reason why is that it helps us keep making great uh, videos. We're doing how-to videos, first looks of new stuff coming out, uh, tours of uh, different types of software uh, as well. So, you know, if you're uh, into tech or a little bit inspired by it, uh, we try to keep it very simple. And again, we'd love your support. And all you have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel and like the stuff that you're watching there as well. And leave some comments. Uh, we'll uh, get back to you on any questions that you might have uh, as well. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank the team that puts this together, including Christine, our producer, and of course, uh, my two co-hosts, uh, Graham Williams and John Beeler. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.